This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. We're going to do another kind of Q&A wrap-up episode here for some stuff that, not necessarily big enough to make its own episode, but it's at least stuff that we thought was worth covering in kind of a downtime, including something that, you know, speaking of downtime, some people may not have expected to be the case. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started with that question I have for you, yes. Mr. Reptar, which is why isn't the market turning like it usually does when like crypto booms, economy floats, like happened during the first old school summer? Caveat, economy isn't doing great, obviously, but crypto is booming. booming. Yep. So right now, it's we're in an awkward spot because the expected downturn have, through holiday season hasn't happened, and that's actually what most people initially think of when they think of this time of year is just a little bit of stagnation and a, an eventual market downturn. We're not seeing that. What people expected to happen right around now, because of the external factors mentioned, the uh, stimulus checks uh, within the U.S. economy and the sudden boom in more popular cryptocurrencies was we haven't seen a cash out of that yet and a movement into the collectibles market. So there's just been a lot of awkward stagnation and this kind of hesitancy to enter the market. Well, the expectation of that downturn aside, we should actually be expecting an upturn in time. The stimulus checks are still rolling out, so as more and more hit either in paper checks or because of the oddity that happened this time, where if you filed through an external service like TurboTax, um, uh, QuickBooks Online, or H&R Block, your checks might have gone back to that company and then will come to you eventually. Some people are receiving paper checks as well, which takes a lot longer. So there's this uh, eventual delay there. And comparatively speaking, the cryptocurrency boom that we're seeing now doesn't quite track with the, the boom we saw before, where it was this very sudden boom and bust, and then continued growth, and a lot of money was injected after that initial boom. We're just seeing a period of time of almost unprecedented growth, and people are not unwilling to cash out. They're waiting longer to cash out, so this money just hasn't reached this portion of, or this market space yet. It is coming. There's a, a really good tweet series put up by uh, Ed Wynn that actually went out today right before we uh, started the cast. And in this uh, a tweet series that Ed put out, Ed mentions that the, uh, the unprecedented amount of money put into the economy and the USD being uh, less powerful coming up than it is now. And one should be moving into these collectibles markets. Why? Because it is coming. This is coming. This is expected. People are waiting on uh, LTC, Litecoin. Uh, I believe it's Litecoin to pop to over $1,400 a coin. And then that's when you'll see an incredible movement in that market and then money flood in. So this is just kind of the calm before the storm. And if you were thinking about moving in, now is the time. To kind of parallel this, we've seen that like uh, Wheel of Fortune is almost gone entirely from the marketplace. It's reset to almost $1,000, I believe, for revised, if you look yep. on the TCG seller portal. So that means actually having a TCG seller account and logging in, searching for Wheel of Fortune as if you're going to list it and looking at those last sell prices, you'll see it's almost $700. Similarly, Earthcraft is also, again, moving towards unprecedented highs, and people are just just 
liquidating to others at this point because they know what's coming and they want their cash to either re-up in other more liquid pieces of the reserve list or they just have you know that immediate need to sell and thus people in a space where they have the finances to do so are able to buy on the cheap and hold so i think you're also seeing a little bit of this boom just recently and this was the case before where you saw it happen with the original old school boom obviously everyone has heard about the lotus that went up that was over a million then back down to half a million as it stands currently it is at seven hundred thousand dollars for this psa 10 lotus that's signed on the case by rush and this is something that you see as like the precursor to yes. the rest of the boom happening yeah is you see this uber high-end ultra high like this is clearly the chasest of chase cards in this market. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, here's a bunch of exposure to this. This is going to go really high. And then a bunch of other prices will follow. Yes. And this is the type of thing that, you know, PWCC thrives on. Mm -hmm. As a big high item auction, you had the Trout one of one not too long ago go for 3.2. Uh, last month, a Mantle went for 5.25. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, and now you have this going for presumably one to two mm -hmm. is what it will end up at. And I think, you know, people who are calling for this to blow past Mantle's record are, that's ludicrous. I'm okay. sorry, that's just not happening. Uh, uh, for, yeah, for the first time that this item hits auction, absolutely. Prior to this, there was a high watermark item, and it was, I believe, the Beta 9.5. That actually yeah. moved hands publicly a couple of times. And when I say publicly, I mean that it was written about, and these auctions yeah. were done, you know, public-facing. And that... Lend, uh, would lend credence to the uh, reserveless boom that we were seeing. So yes, absolutely. When this Lotus actually sells for a, you know a real number, that means you know people aren't just throwing fake bids at this to pump it, and we get that number, we get that sales record. Then we will see you know this floor on the reserveless kind of stabilize, and eventually things will just continue to move from there as people see this market as real and stable and something that has kind of grown and cemented itself over time. And yep. that's something we touched on much earlier in our history on the cast when we looked at the graded market and how, you know, you new to the space magic was as a graded commodity compared to something like coins and other currencies. And that was, you know, speaking of price tag for this, uh, long, long ago, we had an episode about mature versus immature markets. And if you remember, our guest said that we had reached a mature market when we had our first card break a million dollars in auction. And I think we are about to see that uh, thanks to, you know, all the YouTube personalities, TikTokers, whatever else that have brought eyes to it. So kind of a kind of a good time to be in the market historically anyways, to see the legitimacy there. Exactly. And you can see this is kind of the market holding its breath and waiting on this to really begin that move. But there are smaller moves being made behind the scenes. Um, yeah. So that, that was the first big topic we wanted to catch up on this week overall because it is kind of the overarching little finance bit for the season with call time spoilers going. You know, there's some stuff to talk about, but a lot of eyes on that, and that's where a lot of the finance drivers are right now. Um, aside from that, the, the next thing we wanted to talk about, kind of smaller overall, was shipping a product and people finally starting to receive some of the secret layers that were ordered, you know, I guess early to mid uh, 2021. I think the Walking Dead series finally might have finished its shipping run uh, a month or two ago. 
you know, I think I got my oozes before some people got their Walking Dead, and that was like inverse of ordering. And yeah. I think Theros might finally be finished, the God series. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the question overall is about just shipping of product and, and where do we kind of exist there and the, the print run of, of product as a whole. So what I've heard from speaking with reps at a few different companies is they're not expecting a surge in sealed product. They're not expecting Kaldheim to be, you know, like it was two years ago when we had more of the spark and you just had unlimited product that you yeah. could get a hold of. That said, they're expecting more than they've seen recently, but it's not going to be just open season. It'll still be a somewhat limited product that'll be a little bit more difficult to get a hold of. Now, the interesting thing about that to me is they've caught up with secret players when they said they probably wouldn't ship out until late spring, early summer this year originally. And I think it's worth noting that that shift in production means one of two things. It means either Wizards has secured dedicated printing for secret layers, or they have hindered product to print secret layers to get them out ahead. Now, that's the more interesting of the two, because to me, it means they have either shorted product in the short term so that long term they can catch up, Mm -hmm. so that long term we may see jumpstart again. We may see a little bit more uh, double masters. We may see more of these sets that were just so short run because of the pandemic or Commander Legends even. And that's interesting to me because I think that all of these things that Marrow said over the summer, don't worry, we know it's in short supply. It's a print to demand product. This may be them trying to hedge their bets on that and say, all right, well, we're going to try to release more of this product to the people that want it. Yep. But I think that what's more likely is honestly because they're all aboard the arena platform as they're doing it short term so that they can catch up on standard product faster. And I think that what you'll probably see is, you know, Time Spiral 2, Electric Boogaloo might be a little bit more of a short print run. But in exchange, Kaldheim, Strixhaven, uh, D&D, you know, you'll see a good full-size print run on those. Oh, yeah, and I think absolutely. that that's probably what it's going to lend itself to, is we'll get back to closer to a full print run of standard product, especially if, you know, allocations for Kaldheim, which are up, uh, continue to be the trend that we get more allocations for each consecutive set. Yeah, it's interesting to note because, you know, Secret Layers went up and it just felt like, it was a rapid fire set discounting the the summer madness whatever that one was called where it was like the bob ross the metal like a yeah box here's of one of everything yeah, yeah yeah aside from that leading into that it did feel like there was just a, a chain run of secret layer announcements and they needed to get it done at some point in time and i honestly started forgetting about the secret layer releases and uh shipping on that until i started seeing players saying that like months after they received notification that shipping would come on x date were they actually receiving their theros secret layers so it does seem like they they had to forego some early amount of printing during covid era to be able to print standard sets to eventually shift gears later on away from these supplemental sets that were printed to, to demand to meet their secret layer orders had this been done differently and gone through the hasbro store like the old sets did with um the convention set and the My Little Pony stuff, it might have been different if Hasbro was uh, in charge of that product overall and d- used a different set of al- uh, allocation for that. But 
you know, it, it is what it is it is. This game is built on standard, will always be built on standard. And, you know, if Bruvac, the, the Grandeloquent costs $40 because we don't get more jumpstart, you know, so be it. You'll see him in a commander set or something eventually. Yeah. It, it goes against what we thought was going to happen, where we eventually thought we'd be getting these additional print runs later on, but the longer the pandemic stretches on, the longer and more difficult it becomes to be sent people back into work at Carta. It, it, this is what it is. We're going to see sacrifices made in an effort to meet standard shipping. Yeah. So. But... Speaking on call time, with uh, that being the set de choix, and I think as of this morning, we were five commons-ish short of the entire set. One of the yeah. uh, goals we set for ourselves was to kind of go through the set and you look at cards that we thought stood out to us uh, financially or uh, playability-wise that might just be sleepers. You know, it's something uh, everybody does. We don't get to this a, a whole lot, so we thought we'd eventually take a look, and it gives us a reason to look over the spoiler something I don't usually do uh, until release and I always tell myself I will because I buy my legacy singles yep at some point it's the way to do it yep so uh, I went through and, and I, I picked up two green cards because I guess why not they seem to be the most interesting of the bunch for me for uh, EDH playability and uh, the the sleeper that I, I thought that I found in the in the spoiler is uh, I think it really is just going to be a, an EDH card. It does have mm, modern implications, uh, a little more so than some of the other cards that I saw, is at uh, Elvish Warmaster. It's a colorless and a green for a 2-2 elf that whenever one or more other elves uh, ETBs under your control, you create a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token, and the ability can only trigger once per turn, right? So you cast Sorcery Speed 1-1 one, one on your turn, and then you collect a company on your opponent's turn, and you make another one, right? And that helps the, the modern deck a little bit because you can Shaman with the pack uh, faster. It also has five and double green. Uh, elf creatures you, can, you control get plus two, plus two, and Death Touch, not Trample. So it's different than Alzuri, where they don't gain Trample. So to me, like I said, less modern, more EDH, because you just get to keep pumping out uh, an alpha turn for a very low cost. And I think this just slots into you know, any elf deck you want to play. It helps get you to the board a little bit better, helps you recover from sweepers a little bit better, it helps you set up your uh, elf mana producers a little bit better in Elvish Archdruid, Priest of Titania, and the one from uh, Legions that costs four. It allows you to just, to just do a little bit more, uh, a little bit faster, because you're creating elves as opposed to insects with um, Hive Master or whatever it is from Legions. It stays very on theme and allows you to just win a little bit better. And for you know a a dollar thirty eight market, this seems like a perfectly fine card to move in on with uh, EDH playability in mind. Um, it does not. It is a um, a card that's getting the alternate border treatment. Yeah. It's listed as an extra, quote-unquote. It's full art. It's $8 for that. And if I was going to buy in on this card, I'm going to wait until week two, and I'm going to see how far both of these drop in price because I think $8 is untenable for this card. I don't think any EDH player would pay you know, eight fifty for this compared to a dollar and change for the regular version and yeah. 
if they maintain this gigantic delta, then I'm going to hedge my bets on the, the regular set version, or maybe the set foil, depending on what the price of that one uh, winds up being. I've done okay on set versus um, alternate frame or alternate border, full art, whatever you want to call it, uh, thus far when it comes to EDH focused stuff. So this is definitely going to be the card that I keep my eyes on for playability reasons. So mine, and I, I think it's interesting you touched on elves, because first off, I want to say, I think this set is really, really good for modern elves. Uh, the deck is periodically on the cusp of playability, yep. on being tiered, and then will just disappear, because it's just a couple of tools short. And I think that this set gives you some options on how to build that deck uh, with one of those options being my pick of Tyvark Hell. So, card's $10, it's Mythic, and a new set that I feel like is going to be opened a lot. And the reason I like this card is because, yes, Modern Elves is very much like a combo deck. You know, you storm a bunch of dudes out and you get there. Tyvark Hell gives it a little playability from the board because most of them are already black-green. Yeah. It gives you a little bit more of a mid-range plan. And I think that that's good because it's something that the deck has missed because it's kind of been like a glass cannon. Because just a couple of pieces of, you know, critical mass removal can just take the whole thing out. Yep. And I think that a card like Tyvar Kell not only is it good for modern elves, I think it's just good for casual players. Yeah. It's an incredibly popular tribe. It passes all of the checks that you want for planeswalkers. It doesn't shrink protecting itself. It gives you advantage in some way. Sure, plus one, plus one counter and, you know an elf untapping isn't great, except that all of your elves also tap for mana. So it does speed you along the game yeah. by ramping you a little bit. Yep. And I think that that's you know, something that's really clutch for that. I think $10 right now, I'm not mad at that because I think this card actually sees a lot of play in standard. Um, yeah. Once we get a firm meta, I feel like an elf or changeling, some type of GBX mid-range deck can appear. Uh, maybe that's just the grandy mid-range player in me being incredibly hopeful. It probably is, but that's besides the point. I like the card a lot, and I think at the price of $10 for just the normal set one, that's pretty good, mm -hmm. especially when you consider that the borderless, as of right now, TCG low, we're sitting at $12. So both of those are fine. I'd probably be a little bit higher on the set one myself, similar to you, because I think at release, you'll see a lot better return on that. Yeah. Um, the other one I really like is well, actually... actually oh, sorry, I totally forgot about Tyvar Kel. I, I saw that come out, and one of the things I want to note, because this image is super blurry, is that this is just an amalgamation of really good cards. The passive yeah. on it is basically Cryptolith Rite, which was highly playable in that standard format. Now, yep. you, you, you mentioned the plus to, you know, adding a, a plus one plus one counter to an elf is kind of whatever overall, but untapping one of your big mana elves is incredibly useful. And then the zero to create an elf warrior is not quite the same as is it Freilis that literally makes it a landmark elf, but it still yeah. is effectively the same thing with the passive. Overall, yeah. this does everything an elf deck wants. And there's a, a chance that this does slot into the, is it the the planeswalker slide and the sideboard sideboard of elves, it's yeah. Like because it's just 
incredible value. It lets all your elves that kind of do nothing overall after they ETB do something because they tap for a green. Sure, your elves visionary draws a card, but if it also taps for a green, it allows you to get under or get around things a little bit better. And you can bounce it for additional values with Quarry and Ranger, or untap it for additional value, whatever Ranger does. Yeah, whatever you need to do with it. I, I think it's... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. One elf untaps, the other one resets it. I, I forget yeah. what they do, I don't play that deck. But Symbiote, uh, that's it. and Korean Ranger, those are the two. Yeah. Right, but, so your other card. Uh, Realm Walker. Okay. So cards like this, I love. We had Vizier of the Menagerie. Yes. Uh, it's also, more importantly than Vizier of the Menagerie, a tribal card. And as we've seen, tribal is really popular. People love their angel life gain, vampire, goblin, ogre, dwarf, now that we have dwarves again. You know, whatever tribe you want. Uh, This is good because this goes into literally any of those tribal decks. Mm -hmm. And I think that is amazing because at two to three dollars right now, uh, it's only going to go down when the set comes out. And I think it's one of those things that is going to go above up, such as this year, which is now sitting around, I think, 13, 14 dollars low. And it slides into your sliver deck, your elves deck, your beast deck, whatever. And I think that that just means long term, it's kind of hard to lose on something like this. Um, top card of your library, you can look, you can play. Granted, it doesn't give it flash, but it does give you an extra peak. So between this and Oracle of Moldiah or whatever other kind of top deck looks manipulation you have going on, it's a decent spell. I think it's really good for casual EDH. I think that it's easily, you know, in eight months, a $5 card. Yeah, ab- absolutely. The, the The key difference between uh, Realm Walker and uh, Vizier isn't just the fact that Vizier costs uh, one colorless more for an additional power and toughness. It's that Vizier allows you to tap mana of... Uh, sorry. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any type to cast your creature spells. So Vizier works better in something like slivers because you know your your myriad your five color um, yeah more fond piloted decks are generally five color piles as well so vizier works a little bit there because of that clause but overall overall realm walker coming down earlier and allowing you to do effectively the same thing as vizier lends a little more credence to the card uh overall than when i looked at it uh, originally because i first uh, thought about it and i kind of poo-pooed it because I have Vizier's set aside for Slivers. I'm like, I would never play this card in Slivers because I'm not meant to. No, and it's um, it's two very different things, and yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning that, you know, when, when you look at the two, they have a similar effect, but are for two very different strategies. Yeah. Um, obviously, Vizier, like you said, that's for a multicolor deck. You're not going to play it. Um, it's, you know, sitting at around... Sorry, it was, it was 15, 13-ish for the for foil. The foil yeah. It's $5 for the regular set one. But I think that's a much more niche card than necessarily a Realm Walker is because that goes into any tribal deck that just happens to have green in it. Yep. Whereas Vizier, to me anyways, and maybe I'm wrong, is much more of a five-color card. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't have a problem with Realm Walker or Vizier, but they definitely have their, no, like, their use cases. And they do overlap, absolutely. Uh, it's just you can literally everything is cheaper and you can do it for less with realm walker than vizier so it just becomes this first look card why would i play yeah. vizier in my 
one or two or even three color deck when I could play Realm Walker. It costs less financially and it costs less from a CMC perspective and does effectively the same thing in a deck of only so many colors. Plus with a Chromatic Lantern, what does it matter? You know, yeah. There's that. Um, the other card that, that I noticed, and this is my pick for like a, finan- a financial sleeper, is um, I think it's pronounced Essica. Uh, Essica's Chariot. It's, yeah, the cat's uh, on the chariot. Yeah, exactly. It's a 4-4 four, four ve- legendary vehicle for 3 and a green. Uh, when it ETBs, you make a 2-2 two, two green, cra- green cat creature token. And whenever it attacks, you create a token that's a copy of target token you control. So it's um, kind of like populate, and then it crews for 4. So this card is basically forced all the way down, except for the cat token. But it just kind of plays into that love of this tribe that people have picked up recently... It's a really efficient vehicle. You're you're able to make additional token copies of things, which um, might not be the greatest. But I believe there's an equipment in that deck that is it Blade of Selves? No, it's not Blade of Selves. That Helm of the Host. Helm yeah. of the Host makes an additional copy of the creature it's attached to, except it's not legendary. So if you have Helm of the Host and Essicas, you can basically just like double up on your token copies like that. It is this really unique and kind of interesting vehicle. There's a lot of text to this, and it is relevant in a tribe that people went nutty for when it came to the secret layers as well as the deck itself for 98 cents right now and um a full art version that's about the same price i really think you move in on the uh the alt frame version because it's got the celtic style frame to it and you just kind of go in on this yeah for uh, somewhere between a dollar and a dollar fifty and you just ride it out I don't. There is a chance this gets reprinted in a commander set, but it is tied to a character, a named character, so it's going to lose a ton of reprint equity to that. And also, the Celtic frame probably won't be reprinted in a commander set. Yeah, there's that. And the foil's four dollars for the the Celtic frame, so you could even you know. Uh, again, one of those things where I would probably wait until a week or two after release to move in on both versions i doubt this really jumps up because it's been so low for so uh, so low quote unquote for so long quote unquote, yeah. <laughs> that i doubt this really raises anytime soon unless people just move in to speculate but yeah. this is my my safe bet for speculation in this set and it is purely edh based that I don't think this has any kind of standard playability right now because people aren't doing anything with tokens and making a 2-2 on ETB and then populating that singular token does not seem like a winning strategy overall. But there's a lot to do with tokens in Caltime that might change this. Doubtful, yeah. though. It's also legendary, so and it's not hard of Kieran, so it is kind of difficult to say if this does see standard play, right, and this does get buoyed by a constructed format, is this a three to four of in the same kind of way that Heart of Kieran was? Probably not. It's probably more like Sky, Sky Sovereign, where you run two at most. So. Yeah. I, I think it's the best part about it to me, because like you said, I don't think it sees playing standard, I think is the tribal aspect of yeah. it. The fact that it has that, well, this is a cute cat that's there in chariots, isn't it? Right? They're. Yeah marching down in a chariot i don't know how to insist a driving cat over here is going to take it home yeah so (laughs) that's 
I, when I went, I went through the set and I went through a lot of cards. I looked at all the sagas and nothing really spoke to me. And I assume you did too, because I, I did have a saga on my playability list and it's the Orzhov one because it's fetchable yeah. with Xur and the uh, level three on that is really good where it's just a super cheap reanimation spell essentially. Yeah. But you got to go wade through two turns of crap and I don't really think it's going to break more than two or three dollars. Um, mm hmm you know, a lot of the named characters already have a decent price, and I think they're all slam dunks for playability, the world tree, everything we've talked about previously in regards to uh, the changeling aspect of the set and tribal synergies. And you know, what spoke to me the most were these just like super low-hanging fruit where they just don't speak immediately to the rest of the set. They're just kind of sneaking in underneath. Yeah. I think it's been interesting too. Like you talk about the sagas, the Orzov one was good, and then the Herald Unites the Elves was one that I looked at. But at four mana, is that the green white one? That's the green black one. Green black. Uh, mill three, put an elf or Tyvar onto the battlefield. Oh yeah, yeah. Put a plus one plus one on each elf you control. Like that doesn't do anything for the elf deck that the elf deck doesn't already do better with Azuri. Yeah. So it's just not good enough. So like like you said, the sagas in this one, at least from what I'm seeing, are a little underwhelming. Yep. Um, Agreed. You know, nothing wrong with that. That's just how I feel about it. Yep, uh, absolutely. They play into the theme well overall, but if you wanted to be a little more competitive, then they're just really not for you. There's, I think there's a lot yep. of that in this set. You're going to have this kind of weird uh, fulcrum where everything that falls on one side is going to be really good and, and highly playable and it's going to be the majority of the rares and mythics in the set and on the other side yeah. you're going to have the stuff that just didn't quite make it over the hill and yeah. it's not that that stuff isn't eminently playable it's just not going to be as good as some of the other options or alternatives in this set like the is it saga for giants like it's a weird uh i don't even know and there's like it's why isn't is it saga attached to giants when everything about giants thus far has been boros is one of the questions i have i i get yeah. the frost giant stuff i really do but it like support for giants up to this point has been boros so it's like ham-fisted to kind of uh slam us with is it stuff i don't yeah I, it's just I get the tribes change, color identities change, old yeah. fuddy-duddy, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But all of a sudden, just ham-fisted in there, they're both of these things, no subtlety to it at all. I, I don't know. No. Whatever. The last thing I'll say about this set is that from start to finish, everything has looked pretty good, and it's good enough to uh, have Ben Blywis come out of retirement and start writing finance articles again. Yeah. So he announced his return to the, that series after I don't even know how long off on Star City Games. So Hopefully he gets back to get a, get this off my desk, but we'll see. I don't know if he has enough tinfoil left. but Probably not. Uh, <laughs> so, picks for the week? Yes. Right. You want me to go first or you want to go first? I'll take it away. Okay. So, uh, this is kind of piggybacking off of my pick two weeks ago, which was Foil Planner Collapse. Um Foil impending disaster. So this is something that I just periodically, I'm like, oh, do I want to grab some of these foils? I like this card a lot. I love land destruction. I think it's fantastic. Uh, everyone hates playing against it. They get really salty. And I'm just like, guys, just build your deck, like run Crucible or, you know, something. Anyways, the reason I'm picking this card is similar to Planar Collapse. Uh, but with one difference, this card has been reprinted as a non-foil, 
with an old border. So we have a little bit more eyes on this card already because of, I believe it was the mystery booster version of it yep. that came in non-foil. So right now, TCG Low on these foils is sitting at about $10. Uh, there's only a couple left. Um, all right. But I think it's another one of those cards. Now, if you look on card market, uh, there is a pretty big opportunity here because I checked last week when I picked the card initially mm -hmm. and there were quite a few available for, it was around, I think, five to six euros for the foil. Uh, so not much at all. And if you have the opportunity for arbitrage and you can get a lot of them, it's a really good opportunity to make a decent amount of money. Yep. Uh, nope, they have been bought up and the card is now at eight euros, which is the same. And actually there are only two English listings on MKM, which are cheaper than TCG. And then they go to above TCG price. So it's a card that has had some movement since I picked it originally. But I think that reprint-wise, it's one of those soft RL things that are not going to try to reprint it because of the delayed trigger. It makes the stack messy. When does it check, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that cards like this in general, just with land destruction, are not something Wizards of the Coast has been open to embracing recently. Uh, it's kind of a feel-bad I guess is the way they would put it that you know you don't get to play the game because all your lands blew up and i i get it fine i i just think it's not a long reprint risk i think that the foil is underpriced because you're already starting to see cards from this era like your acromas your dragons a lot of the legends are moving already on these old foils and that means that people are starting with the edh staples which are of course your generals well, after that, they're going to go to the other stuff. And this is where you're going to see that Starfoil boom start to take place because we're seeing the pre, you know, the signs that this is on the way already. Mm -hmm. And the fact that your generals, your stuff like Aura Shards has been up for ages and you're seeing these things move. So I think that realistically, even getting in at $10 is fine. I think in about six to eight months you should be able to get out buy list at about 15 to 20 dollars at the least and that's if we don't have in-person events uh, because again i think in-person events accelerate all of the timelines for this you see the reserveless boom happen all over again uh, wheel of fortune may settle at around 500 dollars for a revised one i think it easily goes up to 700 the second we have in-person events again because that's just how it is mm -hmm. so you're able to interact player to player yeah uh, this stuff is so interesting. The the enchantments that just kind of hang out and then sack on a check. Is it silence? Uh, there's serenity. Serenity. Yeah, yeah. You play it in the sideboard of dredge, I believe, because it costs two. Same thing. It's yeah. basically the the exact same thing, but you destroy all, all enchantments. And like, I think the the seal cycle is kind of this weird homage, but you get to control when you. Uh, pop your seals uh, originally in nemesis then like reprinted a couple of times uh rap the original rap block i think got a couple of them yeah and it just represents this this time in magic where they wanted players to play the game obviously differently but in possibly in a more heads-up fashion where it's like okay there is this thing that will happen and how do i play around it or how do i play my game into it and then coming out of it 
to an advantage. And it is, as you said, definitely not something Wasi wants to walk back into. The mystery booster printing is a very interesting place to be with this. Like, I understand that list is gigantic. This is only meant to be drafted uh, in stores or um, at uh, Magic Fests, and these weren't really meant to do anything more than that. Like, EDH population on some of the stuff, yeah, sure, get some weird things out there. A la Helix Pinnacle and Sarkon the Mad, which they don't really re reprint that often. But when Sarkon the logo. Yeah. But when it comes to impending disaster and some of these other cards, it's just weird to even see it in like mystery boosters for that kind of yeah. stuff. And that that's just an aside to me, that's just really weird. Like why would you do this? Why would you do this to people, Watson? Did you learn your lesson? Um Have so, they ever? No. I, I'm I'm actually sticking with uh not quite a lands matter, but a uh, a mana related card for this week and my pick is azor's gateway a card that i've been watching for the better part of i think four or five months and it's this really interesting card overall that has just kind of sat and done nothing uh i originally thought it was just kind of EDH stagnation a la the rest of the year, but it turns out that this instead is just a card for the invisibles. There's not a lot of data surrounding this card. It is primarily played just super casually. But as a card itself, it lends itself to any strategy that wants to control the board well enough to float their life total or just keep your life total high and then eventually flip it for uh, advantage. The small amount of results that we see on EDH rec for this basically lend themselves to uh, this theory. And you can see that the generals are, are all over the place, including almost all the Eldrazi. There's some aggressive stuff here, like um, Traxos. And who the F knows what's going on with Karn. You can build that any way you want. And there are even results for it on uh, MTG decks in constructed formats. People have played this in Historic because it allows you to just turn the corner incredibly. So, at, as I mentioned, not really a reported EDH card, purely a kitchen table card, so it's difficult to monitor uh, the usage of the card overall. And the overall strategy, like I said, is going to be the same. You turn the corner and you just start slamming haymakers. So the overall makeup of these decks actually, after a certain point, becomes very similar. So attached to this card, as I mentioned, the Eldrazi were generals. Those are also in the deck. Uh, if um, if you just dive the results that are reported back to uh, the Arena and Moto APIs and the MTG deck, co MTG deck coalitions, you'll see that almost every one of them ends with uh, Eldrazi, including the constructed decks. That's it. That is the top end of this deck. And Azor's Gateway being colorless allows you to do this everywhere. You don't have to worry about Gaia's Cradle or Sarah Sanctum or playing an elf list that allows you to just go super wide on elves and just tap into it. Nope, you get Azor's Gateway, you get Eldrazi. Also attached to this are cards like Torment of Hellfire and Villainous Wealth, both of which are kind of color agnostic. Uh, yeah. Torment of Hellfire requires a minimum uh, black pips. Is it just two black? Villainous Wealth is just Sultai. So you can continue to play Azor's Gateway 
in aggressive decks or you can play it in more controlling decks however you want within the Sultai color scheme. Torment of Hellfire, yeah, X and double black. So color doesn't play into a best fit or a best strategy. It's just I want to preserve my life total and then just start slamming haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. It's a battle cruiser card because you just tap for an amount of mana equal to your life total. So looking at the uh, the stocks trend, we see that market price finally inflected over average over in the last couple of weeks. And if we stretch this out a little bit, we'll see that it's basically flat for the majority of a year. It's a little bit of an increase, but primarily flat. So this leads me to my timeline for this card. Uh, I didn't even expect it to pop as much as it had over the last few weeks because, like I said, I've been monitoring it for almost five months. But buy list and retail price have finally increased, and we are actually seeing quantity on TCG player increase at the same time. So that people are, are moving the copies now that they're seeing that this is you know, a card with demand. There are people finally moving on this card after a long enough time, or the low-hanging fruit have been pulled away, and now there's a real price associated with this. People that were listing low just to either move cards and bump their stores, or just move inventory because they wanted it gone and it was stagnant for a while. So now that those anchors are gone, we see a price float. Now, I don't expect demand to continue at this current rate, but I do expect it to carry the price towards $6 retail threshold before tapering off and uh, cooling the price increase overall. And I would suggest that if you can get in at five, you know, plus or minus a little bit, my expectation for exit to buy list is gonna be around nine months from now in uh, Q3 2021. That is to say, as long as we don't get anything else that obviously pushes something like Azor's Gateway. It doesn't require a lot of build around effort, you know, just play the game of magic with cards, you know, from lands to things that cost five or greater and you're fine to flip it. And yeah. overall, this is not quite a super casual card because you can just, like I said, put this in any strategy and go nutty. If you want to play aggro with this thing and just end the game on the spot, even after the, a board wipe, if you've been holding, you can continue to execute your strategy immediately afterwards and just completely redeploy and take over. This card lends itself to much more than what you see on uh, Rec and on MTG decks. And I think it's a matter of time before people realize that this card is really extensible into the rest of the format, as long as you either are looking to redeploy or start slamming haymakers. I think that, like you touched on, this is one of those cards that really gets to the invisibles uh, more than anything else. And I think, you know, it's it's a card that if any of you have ever worked on booths, someone's going to ask about it. And especially as, you know, GPs went to much more of the local, like, we're just here for people within driving range. Yep. And it became less of a, like, big thing for people to travel into because grinding Grand Prix is terribly V. Uh, and it's much more about the local players, the local shop. This is the kind of thing that even just outside of the financial vehicle, you just want a couple on hand because someone's going to ask for it. And if you're the only place that has it, they're probably going to buy something else or sit down and say, all right, well, here's my binder. Let's see what else I can get. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things that in addition to, I think being, you know, even looking at the stocks on low, 
you know, two bucks. It's been two bucks. Pretty much always two bucks. That's just how it is. Yep. So it's not going below that. And even outside of that, I think it's just a good thing to have as a backpacker, as a vendor, whatever. So getting in at, you know, two to five dollars seems great. Absolutely do it. Yep. And it's not the type of thing that, you know, you're ever going to lose out on unless it gets reprinted. And even then, I don't think that's enough compared to how much Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan we have out there that it's going to have like a good impact on the price. I think this is overall a really safe hold, a safe thing to buy into. And I think that timeline wise, like you said, unless something happens that pushes it, which could very well happen, who knows? Uh, we'd, we'd be looking at, you know, within the year on this, which I think, granted everything, is a pretty good timeline as well. Yeah, it, it's, it was difficult to kind of figure out the timeline on this because, you, as I showed on the stocks graph, there's that huge uh, drop in price, and then it just rockets back up. And obviously that's untenable, but along with that retail price was also a rocket in buy list. Uh, CK mm-hmm. was buying 21 at 350 heading into the weekend, and prior to that, they were buying 38 at 205. For the for the entire five months that I've been looking at this thing, it dropped a little bit yeah. below two, but maybe to like a dollar eighty or so. So it didn't really drop that much in the time that I've been watching this, and since I first added it to my list. But that almost the like one five x on Bylas price in such a short period of time, like really speaks to the fact that this card is finally getting the respect it deserves, and now is the time you can still get ahead yeah so uh, yeah. i like azor's gateway i played against azor's gateway i don't like playing against azor's gateway but i have and unless you've got anything for this week i think we will be back next week and i think we're going to talk a little bit more about foils and uh foil errors specking on foils and uh what that grind pringles like. and yes. pringles yes that'll be fun for this week, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, Facebook, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible. I am at Haltime Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you guys next week.